right, everybody, welcome to the 297th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin here in sunny Rip City, and I got my man. Sage, chilling live and direct in Beaverton, Oregon, and uh, we're we're recording this like directly after the NBA draft lottery. Like I told them, I need to brush my teeth, and then I'm ready to go. So teeth brush, ready to talk about this, this uh, lottery that happened. But before we get into that, I have a question. I know you put the question out on Twitter if we have questions, but my question is, watching the NBA playoffs, has that affected any of your draft analysis? Looking at what's successful in the playoffs current day, does that affect what you're trying to uh, project with any of these prospects? I don't think so. I think we've both been pretty on point with what success looks like in the postseason, you need two-way players that can be counted on that can't get played off the floor. Like we've seen probably since the 2015, 2016 Warriors that started the the era of uh, space and pace, uh, the era of really isolating a defender and making them pay. And you've really just seen traditional players who may have been able to stay on the floor in other eras now they're starting to get phased out, whether it's a Tony Allen type of shooting guard or an Ennis Cantor freedom type of center. You have to have players who are reliable on defense and you have to have players who are reliable on offense. I mean, obviously having a superstar like Luka Doncic or Jason Tatum is necessary, but the surrounding pieces, you have to have good communicators, uh, good versatility, switchability, like multiple skills, like no longer can you just be a specialist, I feel like, and, and play in this league. I mean, you're looking at the Heat. Duncan Robinson's really been relegated to the bench because he can't play defense, yet he's one of the best shooters on this planet. So you have to be able to hold your own on both ends of the floor. Uh, clearly, size and mobility will always uh take precedence over someone smaller uh, and, and mobile, like, like you're seeing in, in the Western Conference. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie at that guard spot for Dallas is just like, they have so much size up front. So if you have size and speed, you're just going to be a nightmare to deal with. You look at Boston, what they've been able to do with their uh, defense, and they, they have just switchability galore. Al Horford revitalized under Brad Stevens and Ime Udoka. Uh, able to stretch the floor on one end and also hold his own against Giannis Grant Williams, a little bit undersized, but he's stout and he can move. He's not, uh, he's not slide a foot. He is able to stick with a Giannis Antetokounmpo. And then clearly you have your lead point of attack defenders, whether it's a Drew Holiday who won game five for Milwaukee, or you've got Marcus Smart who came up clutch uh, for, for the Celtics. You just have to be able to do both. Like one way players do not cut it in this league unless you are godlike on offense. And that that is very few, that, that is like five, five, five players or fewer that are godlike on offense that you can hide. And you can only have one player that you can hide on defense. Like there's no more. Like you have to be able to play both ways. I mean, look at what happened to Trey Young. Like they they abused him on defense and then they sent a bunch of height and wing and scheme at them and he didn't play anywhere close to what he was last year so you know the 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 intelligence of the coaches has gone up so much in the last few years that they can scheme out one of the most nuclear scoring options in the league 
if I have my druthers, my lead playmaker is a six, seven, six, eight dude that can just see over players, not really like, you know, the six foot guys that are just explosive. You, you that is such a liability defensively. Like who does that get person guard? Exactly. And we talk so much about three and D and in spot up shooting and catch and shoot. Yeah, that's wonderful. But but teams need shot creators and shot takers and shot makers. Phoenix ran out of those. And it was evident in game seven. Dallas threw the kitchen sink at Devin Booker and nobody else was able to make them pay. You have Jay Crowder and Mikhail Bridges, strictly spot up shooters. Cam Johnson, the same thing. Chris Paul was not Chris Paul. And since he wasn't the Hall of Fame point guard that we all know, it all went to hell rather quickly for the Phoenix Suns. So shot creators are always going to be in high demand because you need a player, whether it's a starter or someone off the bench, like a Jordan Clarkson, you have to have someone that can come in and just get their own. Because if you're just reliant on one or two guys, uh, if they have a rough, uh, an off night, it, you, you just saw how quickly things uh, went south for, for the Phoenix Suns. And I think those bucket getters now, like if they have an explosive dribble move and a dribble package, they have to do something other than just get buckets. Like there is a lot of players in this draft and in free agency that can just get buckets and they may or may not find a team. You have to do something else than just get buckets. Like um, we're going to talk about them in a, in a few days. Uh, My guy, Ryan Rollins gets buckets, absolutely a certified bucket. Also a good playmaker. So you need to have something else than just scoring. It's like a versatile league. Every team is looking for versatile athletes that are skillful. So, I mean, my, my, my decisions of like who I think are good haven't changed, but it's like mentioning, I, I, we might mention him, Malachi Branham, I think is a playoff player now. So, I mean, he's just built for that. So. I thought that my my day was done doing draft content. You know, like I was 90%. I'm probably like 60% there of getting all of the players that we need to talk about. So, you know, more work for us talking about this 2022 draft. But let's talk about who got first in the lottery. And I let you have odds and I take evens in this mock. First and foremost, what are you looking at so you remember what picks happened in I, what place is upon up right now okay did they fix it so it's the oh, actual immediately okay thank god yeah so the orlando magic were the big winners on draft lottery night one of only the only eastern conference team to to move up into the top four they are in prime position like they don't have to settle for a guard now they can finally start to settle their guard issues um whether it's just by process of elimination or or whatever but but they're, they're set they've got cole anthony and jalen suggs markel fultz is still on the in the mix they still have rj hampton they they have players there what, what they need is some help up front and i look for this team to probably come off of jonathan isaac at the deadline Mm-hmm. Uh, I think winning this lottery really cemented that feeling for me. They've got Wendell Carter Jr. as a solid center. Uh, Franz Wagner was a just kind of a, a revelation last year uh, for them in, in the middle of the lottery. So clearly they're going to take one of the three prized bigs. I don't know if they'll have a preference right now, but I think defensively this team is going to need to get better. So I, I would rule out Paulo Bancaro. And then you're left with uh, Chet Holmgren or Jabari Smith. 
he is my number one player on my board. I always take talent over everything. And I feel like he's more of an instant impact player that can help this Orlando team. And I still think his upside is nearly as high as Chet Holmgren. So I'm going to take Jabari Smith with the number one pick for the Orlando Magic. They can move off of Mo Bamba, let him walk, kind of let that experiment um, just run its course and then really start to imagine what a, a unit of, you know, Wagner and Jabari Smith and Wendell Carter can look like. They're almost emulating what the Cavaliers had success with, with Markkanen and Evan Mobley and, and Jared Allen. So I think this is a, a very big win for a team that has been needing one for, for quite some time. Yeah, it, it's between the two bigs. Um, I think that Jabari would fit really well with uh, Wendell just because of the perimeter defense that Jabari has showed in Auburn. Like, his feet and hands are really explosive. So him and Franz as the three and the four, that's that's some perimeter defense for you. And then it's like developing Jalen Suggs and, and Cole Anthony. But you have an exciting starting five. You got uh, Isaac and um, Chuma Okiki as your backup wing. So you have like four usable wings currently. And then really find like out Okiki with a backup too. center. What's I really up? like Okiki as well. Have you watched him recently? I only saw him at the beginning of the season. So the injuries have really made him the most diverse. Is that that? Does that sound as po- positive? It doesn't if sound the injuries good because made he already him... sat out an entire season due to injury. So if he's continued to ride that injury wave, it may just not be. It made him a him. difficult athlete to talk about because laterally he has no quickness, but. Front to back, he has quickness. So as soon as you make him go lateral, he it's a L. It's a it's a total loss. But well, you got to be able to move laterally in this game. Um, fourth who, who, fourth who wing would be all right. What's up? Who do you have at number two with the Oklahoma City Thunder finally moving up in the lottery and not having to settle for a guard? You have Jabari at number one. I have Chet uh, Holmgren at number one. To go from Derek Favors to Chet Holmgren as your big defender. Is going to be huge. They have. Is that who you're taking? Yeah, I'm. I'm taking Chet, man. There's going to be some memes with Chet and Poku. Like somebody's going to, have to like I don't know if it's Whataburger or or whatever, but somebody's going to have to sponsor that duo. The the way that he can erase stuff for for Giddy, like it just brings so much defensive acumen to the uh, to the Thunder. Like that that team you could score on. You can score on it relatively easy. So now you have Chet erasing stuff at the hoop anticipating who needs help. I would guess it's Giddy because he's very upright as an athlete. But then you have Dort, you have you have uh, Chet, and then they can go out and get another wing defender and build a sustainable defense that is able to put uh, Giddy in and hide him. So I think that they're building something really special here. And I think with their second pick, they could do, they can, they can walk out with two legitimate starters for the future. So I'm going Chet as as my lead defender. And then the pick and roll threats, too. You have two guys that are alpha playmakers that can set him up. And Gonzaga didn't do that. So now he's going to have a chance to show his diverse range of skill sets. Like, he can be that DHO uh, handler. He can run pick and roll. He can run pick and pop. He can be an amazing trail big on a fast break. So I, I'm I, if I am Oklahoma City, I'm very happy that Chet Holmgren is my guy. 
I think the loser of one of the losers of the night is the Houston Rockets. Um, I know a lot of people are higher on Paolo Bancaro than, than I am, but when I look at this roster, you see Kevin Porter Jr., you see Jalen Green, uh, Christian Wood, uh, a very young uh, Sangoon. Um, I believe, I believe, yeah, and I believe they took uh, Garba last year as well. This was a team that doesn't have problem putting the ball in the basket. They have a problem stopping the other team from doing so. And I felt like Jabari or Chet would have just been an absolute fit like a glove for this Houston Rocket team. And I'm sure their fans may be excited that they're going to get Paolo Bancaro. That's who I think they will select. So I'm going to take Paolo Bancaro here. Um, I don't know what the trade opportunities will look like. If they're going to try to maybe move up to, to with OKC, I think OKC would be fine with Bancaro as well. I don't love the fit. I know he can slide in there and play right away, but when you have a team full of shoot first, defense later type of guys, it tends to not work out. I mean, you can even go back to the seven seconds or less Phoenix Suns team. Like you have to have defense as a calling card, like watching the playoffs year after year. That's one thing that comes through the teams with the high defensive ratings in the regular season, that shit doesn't just go away. Yeah, it, it absolutely comes through every single night and they're going to have trouble stop, stopping people from scoring, but uh, they're definitely going to take Paolo Bancaro. Um, but there's no question in my mind that, that they would pass up on him here. So that's why I am taking him, but I don't love that fit. Top five offense, bottom five defense. Yeah. Kind of like, it's almost like trailblazers-esque uh, in, in 2020, 2021. Like when but we at least so- we had Yusuf. Nobody on that Houston Rockets team is Yusuf. They're going to be the Charlotte Hornets of the West with really fast-paced, fun offense and absolutely awful defense. Like, let's not even use a playoff team. Let's talk about Damian Lillard and the Portland Trailblazers. Dame's attacking every single player on that team. He's isolating and going on every person. If If that abd is fine, pick your poison. You're getting buckets. So they, they're going to have to try and outscore teams, but they're letting two points go by them every time. I mean, just look in division. They have to deal with John Morant, C.J. McCollum, and Luka Doncic and DeJounte Murray. That's that's tough. I know you're not into daily fantasy, but I'm targeting the Houston Rockets. And I think this is where the draft really turns. So when I saw Sacramento move up, I was like, if they get four, that's going to be crazy because clearly I think we both would have Jaden Ivey best player available here. But Sage, didn't they just move Tyrese Halliburton because they had a point guard log jam? I, I don't know if Fox... Well, and Davion too. Like, Yeah, and Fox and Davion Mitchell and Jaden Ivey can play together. Um, I'm interested to see where you go with this pick because I, I think the draft absolutely turns at pick four. Yeah, it definitely does. I mean, I'm going to go with what I think is the fourth best player, and that's Jaden Ivey. I'm well aware that they could take Shaden Sharp, and I, I, I believe that I saw that on the uh, ESPN, like, big board type of thing, that they would take uh, Shaden. But I've just seen it with Jaden Ivey, his explosiveness, the the fact that he doesn't have to have the entire uh, offense on his shoulders year one is going to be huge because he had issues with ball placement but him as a a secondary ball handler when we talked about him having a main guy and then him being the secondary guy just attacking using his speed using his cutting ability i mean 
it can go one of three ways in my mind, but I'm going with the guy that's I've seen for two years and the improvement between year one and year two is huge, but game 10 through game 16, you just saw such a huge improvement in his game. I, I know you love when you see a player that improves and Jaden Ivey steadily improved every single game. So in this mock, I take him with the Kings, but if Shaden Sharp or or Dang is available, they, they might take a swing at those two. But uh, Jaden's four on my board, so that's where he goes. I think Kings might Kangs and take Keegan Murray here. I think I, th- I think the Kings would take Keegan Murray. Yeah, season. I know, but I've tried. I've tried not to. I, I just, truly don't believe that he's worth the four. Yeah, but how many times have the Kings made a shit draft decision? There's, they love th- there's the three nuclear team. options in front of them, and they take the most basic? Ugh. Yes. This is the same franchise that took Marvin Bagley over Trey Young and Luka Doncic. I remember and- seeing a, a tweet uh, on Twitter. If if uh, if Trey Young doesn't get him into the playoffs, the Kings were right about taking Marvin Bagley. <laughs> oh, man. But I, I don't know. I think I think there's two – there's three options, right? If you were the Kings right here, Shaden, uh, Ivy, and then Dang. And I guess Keegan. I'm not taking I think Keegan's a legit option for them. Yeah, I do too. Just not for me. He's lower on our board, but when we just saw one of ESPN's analysis has Keegan Murray as the fourth overall prospect. I'm not saying his word is is gospel, but I, I, you showed me a list after our last mock draft. We had Keegan Murray listed lower than anybody else, which is fine. But the draft th- draft time is usually a big group think mm-hmm. exercise, and players tend to go with what the the group says is best. And one thing to consider, though, it will be a new Kings regime. Mike Brown is moving over uh, across the bay to uh, Sacramento, so it'll be interesting to see what what he values with with a new uh, fresh pair of eyes, so to speak. But yeah, that's why I said the draft really turns. Uh, at four is because they they could go four or five ways uh, to be to be completely honest. So um, it'll be interesting to see what they do. Would they finally move off of Darren Fox, the Aaron Fox, and say Jaden and I the, the keys to the castle um, are yours? I mean, would if you I'm do that? Inst- I would give Jaden a few years to really get comfortable in, in the league. If, if Fox is it. there, I'm I'm going to use it, the playmaking. No, I get rid of De'Aaron Fox as soon as possible. That experiment hasn't worked. You already have Davion Mitchell, who's a solid defensive-minded point guard. But he's six foot. Okay. Uh, you, you play defense, you can play defense. I mean, that just that's all I, that matters to me. I, I feel I like the Kings need a time machine to take up take away a few decisions before I trade away De'Aaron. So I'm just I, De'Aaron Fox hasn't even led him to the playoffs, like not even a play-in spot. So let's like I just if I mean, but they find... traded for Sabas too, so they—it's—it's it's tough. It's the Kings. Yeah. Um, if we're talking about losers on the draft lottery night, Houston one A, Detroit might be one B. Uh, another team that was probably dying to get one of those three premier forwards. It's—it's it's a tough predicament where, where the Pistons are at because they have. Obviously, the number one pick last year in Cade Cunningham, and they have Sadiq Bey. Uh, Jeremy Grant is probably the, the least kept secret in the world that he is going to get moved. It just appears to be to who, uh, for what, and when. 
Killian Hayes hasn't really been able to figure it out. So that they really could use, I think, a wing player next to Cade Cunningham. And you can really take your pick here. You, you could go with Benedict Matherin. You could go with AJ Griffin. You could go with Shaden Sharp. I am just going to predict that Shaden Sharp rises up the draft boards. And I think he's going to have really good workouts. And Detroit's probably watching what Dallas is doing right now with their large backcourt. And they say, hey, we can we can emulate that and do it even better. You've got Cade Cunningham and Shaden Sharp, 6'4", 6'5", 6'6". That, that range, size and speed is an undefeated combination across any sport, uh, especially in the NBA. So I, I think they roll the dice on the man of mystery. Like we, we, we've talked about this since Shaden Sharp started to rise up the draft boards and really reclassified to be eligible for this draft is that People love the unknown. Like right now, the fifth overall pick has so much more value than whoever actually gets picked at fifth. You just love rolling the dice. You love the unknown. It's it's Sage. It's why I prefer being in the draft lottery. That 10 minutes of heart beating, you know, you, anticipation, you don't know what it's going to be. Give me that 10 times out of 10 over knowing that I'm going to lose in the first round every year. Like I, I don't want that that's like ripping a bandaid off so slowly and painfully like this, at least it's like, okay, we didn't get what we wanted, but it was still really fun. Right. And you have a little bit of hope. I think that's what the Pistons are going to do. They're going to take the unknown that they are going to go and try to get the guy with the highest ceiling. And really they have the timeline to do so. That's the beautiful thing about the Pistons is they're not in no rush to win. They didn't have a, breakout season all of a sudden and, and tried to to rush a rebuild they're, they're taking their time and, and they're building the right way um they've had a good eye for talent over the past few years really haven't missed on too many picks i, I think they can afford to uh go with the highest ceiling guy in shaden sharp here and just groom him alongside of of kate cunningham to be a really really sweet backcourt i mean you're you're, you're taking hammy hamaduke diallo and Replacing him with Shaden Sharp, that's a humongous improvement in potential. And the, it, it would be for those two guards to develop and learn how to play with one another. Uh, I don't think Shaden Sharp is ready for, you know, rolling the ball out to him in the center of the court and him creating. So having a guy like Cade Cunningham to create for him, so he's just a shooter and a cutter, I think that's a really good pairing for the, the future. And then you can go later in the draft or in free agency and, you know, utilize the money that you have by going cheap and improving your team. But a guard of Kate Cunningham, Shaden Sharp, and Sadiq Bey provides spacing. It provides youth. I mean, if you can get another pick for Jeremy Grant, it can provide a lot of other things. But they're on the right track, and you just need to give those two time to play together. So with the Indiana Pacers, we run up to the stage and take Usman Dang. So I, 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 Usman is better than AJG and Benedict Mather. So I'm just mad you stole my pick. Oh, well, I, <laughs> we weren't going to get him, man. Um. In, in this mock draft with these two drafters, you got to play the, the, the person, not the draft. No, I'm, I'm picking who I think they'll take. Um, But, yeah, I, I think Dang is the – he was the fifth guy on my list. He was the fifth guy on your list. 
he's projected on Tankathon to go 14. So it's a little bit of a reach if you look at consensus boards, but consensus boards are almost always wrong. And when you feel the the way I do about Dang and his potential, you take them. And you don't really worry about what mock draft people and draft Twitter is going to say. They probably will approve of this pick because they like him as well. So I think Halliburton and Dang create a really fun backcourt of the future. I think you, it would be foolish to take the ball out of Halley's hands, but having a secondary playmaker, one with, I would say, at least top two handles in the draft, you, you're creating, you're attacking. And I think Rick Carlisle will like the, the, the absolute potential of what Dang can deliver. So they, they're rushing to take Usman. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, that, that, that's all I have to say. He, he's just a baller. Hooper's hoop, man. So Absolutely. Uh, two thoughts before I make the pick for the Blazers. One, I also wouldn't be surprised to see Keegan Murray land here, a Big Ten player playing in Indiana. Just It seems like an Indiana Pacer type of pick, you know, a, a polished player ready to get them out of the lottery. Uh, and two, I would have taken Usman Jang if he were available in, at the seventh pick. So that, that would be my, my player here, but he is off the board. Uh, so I'll go with my 1B. Um, I'll take Benedict Matherin, guard from, from Arizona, uh, six, 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 seven. We talked about it. You need shot creators. You need shot takers. You need shot makers. He is one of the best in college basketball. Showed a lot of progress and growth from his freshman year to his sophomore year. Uh, as as the season progressed, uh, Arizona coach Tommy Lloyd gave Benedict more responsibilities handling the ball. Uh, they played really without a true point guard. Kirk Krista was really just a, a spot up shooter, not really a creator or a playmaker. And Matherin really responded. There were there were times when he was working the pick and rolls to perfection, throwing up alley oops to his big man Christian Coloco. Uh, looked comfortable doing so. A lot of Demar Derozan to his game, especially in the mid range. And there's just something about him. Like you see some players, like that looks like an NBA player. He moves like an NBA player. There's there's a coolness to him. I, I don't know how else to quantify that other than it's an intangible and you just kind of get a gut feeling about a guy and uh, I think Portland would be really happy if they landed with, with Matherin because I think he's a player who can help you now but if you if you decide okay we really do want to rebuild this uh, he's going to be able to to grow and continue to progress you can play him alongside Simons you could play him alongside Lillard could slide him over to the three at times uh, what I would uh, just hopefully he improves upon it is that that off ball defense. And I think that's, what's going to determine how much playing time he gets early on. Uh, but he, again, you talked about earlier, I love players that show growth from over long periods of time, not just like, Oh, he had a really hot may and he had a really hot February. Like, no, like you consistent quantifiable data, especially, you know, you can have the data or you can have your eye tests. Like he was one of those guys that, that really looked strong and got better as the season went on. Uh, we talked about it on our last mock draft, uh, just a phenomenal game against TCU. He had big shot. Uh, he was a big shot maker and a big shot taker. Sent that game into overtime, uh, which, which is what you love to see. You want to see guys do it at the collegiate level before they do it at the professional level, because they're not just all of a sudden going to become great when the lights get brighter and the stage gets bigger. So two, two questions. Have you taken 
uh, Benedict every mock draft we've done? Because I, I I know you took him with the New Orleans pick in the first. And then did you take him with the... No, Blazers? because we only had one lottery pick in the second mock draft we did. So would you take with the second? I might have forgot. Was it J- uh, Ivy? At six? I took Shaden Sharp at six, I think. Oh, okay, okay. So two, you see these secondary playmakers like a Tyrese Maxey, a Jordan Poole, a um, Victor Oladipo. Do you see that secondary playmaker type thing with Benedict Matherin where if Dame or Ant doesn't score on that initial, they pass it out to Benedict and he can run second side pick and roll? Do you see that in his future? Yeah, I think secondary playmaker is is something that any team that drafts him should should hope that he's able to do at this level based upon what they've seen uh, on tape at Arizona. Absolutely. And, and if he's not able to do that, then clearly the value plummets. If he is able to do that, then you're looking at five years down the line in a redraft, he's probably going top five. I mean, you, you're looking at like a, a maxi type of re- reward if he can beat that second side player. A maxi with size. A maxi with size. And if he can just stay focused on off-ball defense, like that's a really nice return for a player. I mean, I, I think that his swing skill is going to be, can he be that secondary? I mean, the fact that we have two lead playmakers is helpful, but look look what happens in the playoffs. It just gets so, it gets physical, and having a guy at that size and that potential playmaker is huge. So Benedict Matherin to Portland just makes sense to me. All right. You loved the pick I had for your Pelicans last mock draft taking Ochai Abaji. Are you going to follow suit or is there another player oh, on board? You know, that you you like know. better. You know, you, you, you know, the Steez. you, you, you know, the, you know what I'm doing. I'm taking the off ball superstar AJ Griffin with this new Orleans pick. Um, I feel like for AJ Griffin and his potential to succeed, you don't want to give him playmaking reps early on. And with New Orleans, you have CJ McCollum, Brandon Ingram, and potentially Zion Williamson. So you he at best is fourth and probably fifth, putting him in a position to use probably the second, third best shooter in the draft, just using that ability to stretch to the floor. It, New Orleans doesn't need an all-world player. They need somebody that can play a role. And AJ Griffin has shown the ability to play a role score and attack closeouts when they're just too aggressive because he is a shooter. They obviously the speed worries me, but if you look at him as he's just making Brandon's and CJ's and Zion's life easier, he can fit that role and fit that role for many, many years. New Orleans has had that problem with the lack of shooting. AJ Griffin. I know, I know this isn't really a stat centric drafts uh part but he's like a 98th percent shooter he's a 98th percent cutter if you're a math nerd you should love aj griffin for what he provides on the offensive end he is a fantastic offensive player so that's why if i'm del not del dems oh goodness that's a if i'm david griffith i'm taking aj and being really happy that we got a off-ball superstar that can uh learn he can learn from cj mccollum I think that's awesome that he has a mentor that been there, done that. And you, you see what he's doing with like recruiting saints players. Like he's 
going to be part of the city and grow roots. So I, I feel like CJ McCollum is a great mentor for my guy, AJ. I can't believe I said belt downs. <laughs> All right. The slide stops here. The San Antonio Spurs with a ninth pick are going to take Keegan Murray from Iowa. It's a great situation for him to go into. They have a lot of pieces in play, whether it's Jakob Hurdle, DeJounte Murray, Keldon Johnson, Lonnie Walker, Josh Primo. They're, they're missing that four. And I think you could, the case could be made that he is the best player available or damn near close. Uh, plays both ends of the floor. Not going to be asked to be the primary uh, shot creator. And I feel like he is going to, if there's one player in the draft, like that's ready to be coached by coach pop, you have to think it's got to be a guy like Keegan Murray. Um, I think it's a great fit. Um, He can shoot the ball. I think as long as they don't ask him to do too much uh, again, I don't know if you're looking to hit a, a home run here, but I think he could be a solid double and all you need to do year after year is just get on base. Double, triple. Maybe once in a while you'll get that home run. But yeah, you hit it with DeJounte, right? So now that was a great pick. And I think that they build around uh they they again, I think they're another franchise that's not in a massive hurry to win now. They've had success. They're they're really trying to get out from underneath those years, and they're starting to get rid of those those older veterans and build around the Keldons and DeJounte's. I think this is a perfect fit, a great really one of those picks where you think the team benefits and then the player benefits going into a good situation as well. So do you think Keegan replaces Keldon as the four? Cause Keldon's like six, six. I would hope Keldon can start playing some three. Cause that's, yeah, a, cause, that's really you push small him down a little bit. Yeah. So, so it would be, uh, Jante, Devin, Keldon. Devin Vassell. I forgot about Vassell too. Yeah. Dejounte Vassell, Keldon, Keegan and Yaka Pertle. That's a that's a legitimately good team. Really good team. Really good de- defense. Like th- opposing teams aren't going to be able to target anybody really. So if if Keldon can move down position, I think that would be great. I don't see Keegan Murray as a three in this. No, in this new, he's a four. He's too slow. He's too slow to be a three. I think Keldon shows the ability to play either or, and then offensively, you have a guy that's not going to get in the way of anything. Like he's going to be it, a four out player and shoot from the uh, corner in the wing. So, I mean, I'm glad you took them. So uh, I have the Washington Wizards, correct? Yes. Okay. I know who I would take for them. Who would you take? I would take Dyson Daniels. Okay, that's who I was thinking too. Yeah. I really wanted to save them for the Thunder because I think Dyson Daniels would be really good to be with the the two guards. But the Thunder don't need any talent. The Thunder can can rot for the rest of eternity. Yeah, I think Dyson Daniels, you know, I asked you this question uh, earlier sometime in the last week. I, I text you almost every day, so I forget the day, but who has the highest feel for the game? And I had Jeremy and you had Dyson. And I think that if Bradley Beal's back, he has a secondary ball handler, high IQ player that I don't think he's really had in his years in Washington. So he can be that guy that sets Bradley up. 
I mean, I, I talked about his dribbling not being the best, but once he gets one foot inside the paint, he is a great passer. So you have a high, high ability defender that's a playmaker. I mean, that's the type of pick that Bradley Beal deserved years ago. So I'm going Dyson Daniels with the Washington Wizards at 10. You have the New York Knicks at 11. Um, do you have any thoughts on Dyson Daniels to the Washington Wizards? No, that's who I would pick. Yeah. I think they need defense. I think they need a playmaker. Uh, I think they need someone who's going to get Chris Stapps and, and Rui and, and Bradley Beal and Corey Kispert the ball. I mean, they, they don't need uh, a lot of more offense. They, they need guys that can can set him up. He could he could legitimately be a point guard. And you're looking at really good size at a point guard, especially if you're playing Brad Beal in the backcourt. And he plays both ways. Like, he's elite defensively. So uh, I think he's a player who could rise up even higher when the draft actually takes place. Uh, again, another player you're going to look back in five years and say, why wasn't he taken uh, much, much higher than he actually went? I think he'll slip because of the competition, uh, maybe because of the limited film. Uh, but, you know, he didn't go to Duke. He didn't go to Carolina. He played it for, for the G League. And I still think there's a little bit of a stigma against that. Uh, but I, I think he, he, he would succeed in Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, there was uh, Jeremy was another option I had. And then I was thinking about Branham as well. So those were my three, but I think Dyson Daniels as a complete player is better than those two. So who do you have with the New York Knicks taking at 11? The New York Knicks. um, First, I think this pick is in play. Uh, I think they're a team that is desperate to get back into the playoffs. They went from home court advantage to the draft lottery in the span of about 12 months. They don't really have, doesn't seem like they have a solid foundation. Uh, RJ Barrett was a bright spot, but you've got Tom Thibodeau wanting to play vets and they've got some rookies that just kind of get buried on the bench. Who knows what they're going to do with Julius Randle. Um, not really a great position draft wise. They, they could, I mean, they, they really need some help on the wings scoring the basketball. And uh, I think this is a really good landing spot for Johnny Davis. I like Wisconsin um, can really move well without the ball. That's one thing I noticed. And whether it's Derek Rose or Emmanuel quickly running the offense, RJ Barrett being that secondary playmaker, even Julius Randle making plays, uh, you're going to need guys who can move well without the ball. And one thing that Johnny Davis struggles with, at least at the collegiate level, is getting it off his own shot. So if you're able to put him in a position where he's able to move move off ball and just find him open looks, he, his, the shooting is going to increase. I know the percentage has struggled a bit, but let's remember Wisconsin was not a talented basketball team. Defense is keyed in on Johnny Davis, and that's why it was, uh, you know, he was seeing so 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 many looks from from the opposition. I think if he's the third or fourth option on offense, he's going to have a much better success rate at the next level. And and I think his defense. He's going to provide things that they, they, they don't have. Like losing Bullock was huge for Mitchell Robinson. Losing a guy that can play some good defense, and you see that he's invaluable with the Dallas Mavericks. Having a guy on the wing that can play some defense and is smart is going to be huge. So R.J. Barrett's not going to do it, and the point guards on that team are too small. So having Johnny Davis there to stop the uh, – the, inter- the penetration to their interior is going to be huge. Like Nerlens Noel went from a really valuable backup 
to not very good because of the lack of perimeter defense. So I think that that w- that's a very good pick for the Knicks. I had a, uh, if I was there, I would have thought long and hard about Jeremy. Did you think about Sochan at all at, uh, at 11? I did, but it would, they would have to, I think they would have to really think about retooling that their team. If you're playing Mitchell Robinson, Jeremy Sohan, and RJ Barrett as your front court for stretches, where, where is the shooting going to come from? So it, it, again, we, we've talked about this. If Sohan was a better shooter, he's top five lock. Mm-hmm. That that's just that the bottom line. He's that talented defensively. Um, I have him in a similar category tier wise as as Johnny Davis. That's why I leaned fit there. Um, I think we could see Sohan go two spots higher, two spots lower. It's going to be really fluid depending on uh, what the team is just really dying to add to their their core. So I have the Thunder. Oklahoma City Thunder picking. We've already taken Chet Holmgren in this yeah. month. Yeah. So I have to think about that. I'm. I'm going with a power forward in this draft. And I think that Oklahoma city would rather have Tari Eason than Jeremy, just because of the attitude. I feel like Tari is more of a uh, passionate player where Jeremy's more calm collected. And I think with who they have on their team, somebody that can spark a little excitement is going to be big. And I think that Eason is a much better uh, scorer at this point in the, uh, of their careers. I know there, there's an age difference of, an uh, I think, a year. But having Tari Eason, having Chet Holmgren cements some defense for them in the, uh, in the future. So, I, I mean, Tari shot it pretty well at a 35% clip. The defense was impressive. Those two are going to blow up plays for the Oklahoma City Thunder. And... Uh, I'm very excited of what the, that defense can turn into with Tari, Chet, Lou Dort, and Shea. That, that's, that's a pretty scary futuristic type lineup. At 13, the winners of the draft might be the Charlotte Hornets if the mock draft unfolds, or if the NBA draft unfolds like our mock draft is. They rush to the podium. They're taking Jalen Duran center from <laughs> Memphis. I like it. Um, that's a great pick. I do think Duran is going to drop a bit. Um, especially with recency bias against centers being played off the court, whether it's DeAndre Ayton or Rudy Gobert. Uh, it takes a special type of big to really make an impact in, in this league. And he's going to have to maybe emulate what Robert Williams is doing over in, in Boston. Or um, Bam. Or Bam Adebayo. But I don't, I don't know if he's as fluid as Bam. I so. think the quick feet makes him not be played off the court. But – yeah, like I don't really worry about him getting play off the court because he's going to play some damn good defense. Yeah, he's going to have to rebound the ball. I do think he's going to have to become at least a foul line extended threat. Like Bam, Bam made himself like he gets an open jump shot, he hits it. Uh, Jalen did show some good playmaking skills. Yeah, he definitely at, has that. at Memphis. I think this is going to be a value pick, but also a steal. Um, at, that's just really good value for, for a talented player like Jalen Dern, who I kind of thought for Portland at seven. So I could see his, his ceiling as high as seven, uh, honestly. And I think, you know, maybe late lottery, uh, could be the floor in terms of where he, he gets picked. So he's got a, a lot of, uh, movement, uh, draft stock wise. I mean, can you think of a better point guard to set him up for some easy alley-oops than Lamella ball? Not right. Maybe Luka Doncic, but that's about it. Yeah, I mean, like, 
it is a great fit for Jalen currently what he does. Like he's going to be that Clint Capella or Anyeka Okongwu type of big where he's just a rim running threat. And, and you know, LaMelo wants to get that, that momentum changing dunk. And I think that you, you have Jalen, you have potentially Miles Bridges back. You have all of these players that could feed off of what LaMelo does. And I think it makes his life a whole lot easier having a, having a Jalen Durant there. They were the worst defense in the entire league. So Whoever the coach may be, it could be uh, Terry Stotts. I think Terry would love the him in the uh, drop big position. So I I I, th- I like that pick for the Charlotte Hornets. So at pick fourteen, I have the Cleveland Cavaliers. I am going to take the sweet mid range shooting shooting guard out of Ohio State and Malachi Branham. Wow, so Jeremy Sohan drops out of our mock draft. I know it hurts, but Charlotte needs some scoring. I think Charlotte, Charlotte needs I mean, uh, Cleveland, sorry. They both end with, they both start with a C. So I, I think that Branham, he just fits with what they're going to be with, you know, there's defenders that can protect him because I think that his screen navigation is pretty putrid, but you look at what he can do as an offensive weapon for the Cavs, and they struggle to score at times. You get you got a guy that's pull up. He knows he how to rise into a shot, and he he can score in the playoffs. Like the 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 uh, the comps for uh, Chris Middleton, I said at the time were unrealistic, but as I've continued to watch some, some Ohio State. If he works really hard and grinds, I think that he can do it. And he has the body type to handle the abuse that the NBA is going to put on him as a, as a score. Um, I know Jeremy's out of our mock or out of our lottery, but I feel pretty good with Cleveland having Malachi as that, as a, a scoring threat for them from now. And I mean, just think about when they all developed Garland, Branham, Evan, like though that's a young core that can learn how to play together and just run rough shot over the league. So I'm taking Malachi at 14. Um, who, who did you have Jeremy? Was that the one thought in your head or uh, I probably would have went so in, but I, I, I don't, I Brandon was right in, on the cusp of that too. Yeah. I'm, I just don't think Jeremy scores enough. Like he, 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 uh, he sets I, players I was, up. I was just thinking the defensive things they could run with Mobley, Allen, and Sohan would just be something we have never seen before. So that's what selfishly I wanted to see. Yeah, but... And they still have Karis LeVert coming back. So don't... And Colin Sexton. So they, they will be able to score down the line. I'm just... just... But you're going to have to pay Colin Sexton. You're probably going to have to pay Karis LeVert. Having a low-cost score with all that defense already... They, they need to score points, man. They're going to stop teams from scoring if they're healthy. So, uh, yeah, that's why I feel pretty good with uh, Malachi at, at 14. All right. That about wraps it up. I've got some dinner waiting for me. But before we do that, uh, question from at the tower 51. Why do the basketball gods hate us? They didn't hate us. We didn't drop to 10. 
No, yeah. It, statistically, seven was the spot Portland was going to land all along. It's it's an eight-person draft for you. It's a seven-person draft uh, for me. I could be talked into Dyson Daniel. So in that way, it could be an eight-person draft for, for me as well. Um, I, I still think all of Portland's uh, shenanigans uh, over the the summer uh, still probably aren't sitting well with the basketball gods if you were asking me why Portland didn't move up. So I think it'll be a, a while before we get in their uh, good graces. I could care less about the basketball gods. It was what statistics said. I mean, like, I'm going to school for project management. One of the biggest things that they taught me, and I've already learned from doing DFS for since 2012, is looking at information and making informed decisions. Statistics said that this was the biggest chance of happening. It is what it is. I mean, I wish I could talk about Shet Holmgren. I wish I could talk about Jabari, but that's just not a possibility anymore. Yeah, you better not hope I'm drafting for the Pacers where I take Dang at six. <laughs> so, I, I mean, it, it, it's unfortunate, but it's what uh, what happens. So, hopefully we use the pick and pay attention to the other two picks that are really important. And I really hope that we buy another second round pick because yeah, I mean, there's some good players in the 40 ranges. Steph Curry was taken number seven. Damian Lillard was taken number six. Uh, Brandon Roy was around six or seven. Um, sometimes the best player in the draft doesn't go top three. So that's just Draymond something went to the second round, guys. There's good yeah, players everywhere. Something to keep in mind, especially when it's not like a Kevin Durant draft or a LeBron James draft. Like these top three picks, yeah, they're the consensus, but they're not like head, head and shoulders above everyone else. Like there is a lot of talent out there and you just have to draft well. Like every draft traditionally has a few studs in it, like legit all NBA players spattered all across the board from, from number one to 60. So So, I, I don't know if you agree with me on this, but it's an eight man draft in the top. Then 10 to 20 is pretty damn similar. And then 20 to 40 is pretty damn similar in terms of talent. So I would say 20 to 35 ish. Okay. But so there's, there's 40, there's 40 players that are NBA caliber. I think there's eight that deserve to be lottery guys, but there's, there's players to look at. So in the future, we will be doing our second round steals where we talk about some of the players that, deserve to be talked about as second round steals. I know you're uh, about to eat some dinner, so I'm going to let you do that. Uh, thank you so much for listening. We are available on iTunes, Stitcher, Himalaya Podcast, Dash Radio, Nothing But Net Radio, and be good to each other. Peace.